Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast. This week we are back again with another episode focused on the subject of mental health and the impact of mental health in the workplace. Uh, as always, I am joined by my regular co-host uh, Adam Walker um, and we are going to be speaking to Edward Hearn, Principal Clinical Data Manager. Um, but look, before we kick off, it's also worth noting that this is a safe space um, and that all experiences and opinions shared are exactly that. Uh, they're not meant to be uh, intended as medical advice. Um, so look, with that all covered, uh, Adam, Ed, welcome to the show. How are you, gents? Thank you for having me, James and Adam. I'm doing well. And you? Very well indeed, very well indeed. The sun has been out uh, in London this week. I'm just back from my sister's wedding. Um, blue skies all weekend, so cannot complain one bit. Great um, to be here also. Lovely to see you both. Look, um, Ed, thank you so much for jumping on with Adam and I. Uh, I know that Adam has uh, only recently been on the, the show and shared kind of his experiences with mm -hmm. mental health and, and challenges along the way. Um, look, if you can perhaps give us a bit of an introduction as to, yeah, who you are and a, a quick overview of, of what you do in, in your kind of background um, and experiences with, with mental health um, challenges, oh, so you want to label it. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a principal clinical data manager. I currently work for TFS, but I'm contracted out to AstraZeneca. Been within the business for oh, almost 17 years now, and I am autistic, mm -hmm. as well as with a diagnosis of, of ADD. So mental health is something that I deal a lot with on a daily basis. It's a part of me. Um, and luckily enough, I have found you know, the support that I need and, you know, the resources that I need to, to help me within my work. And, you know, I can honestly say I love my job. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, probably one of the few people can actually say that, but it helps me a lot from, a, from an autistic perspective. So look, I guess um, with that in mind, I guess I've been, been very open that my knowledge on mental health challenges have been limited up until kind of recent times um look if you can give um myself and our audience kind of an overview of you know what autism is and perhaps if there is any difference between uh, is it ADD or ADHD that um you uh you're diagnosed with as well so it's, so it's ADD, which is the attention deficit disorder. It's without the hyperactive part. So right. internally, I'm very chaotic, but you don't see that. I don't ex exhibit any you know, hyperactive behavior. Mm -hmm. um, autism is a spectrum. That's what it's mainly known as. Um, it's now, I believe, in the DSM-5, autism spectrum disorder. It used to be known under quite a few different labels or brackets as you so I have what is used to be known as Asperger's syndrome right um which is you know otherwise known as a high functioning autism which I kind of disagree with because to me autism is is functioning in, mm -hmm. in and of itself um common don't really want to use the word symptoms, but common things that I have are characteristics or, or what are the stereotypes are, I, I guess, because that's perhaps what people will know as, as the label is. It's, it's just, I think the, the biggest stereotype I, I stereotype out there is Rain Man, uh -huh. um, you know, dropping the matches on the floor and then some of them being able to count them. Um, that's a very stereotypical thing. Um, another very stereotypical thing is that people with autism aren't social or don't have any empathy and and that's you know one of the reasons why I was diagnosed so late I was only diagnosed um when I was 38 or 45 now so only seven years ago did I get that diagnosis and at 38 when you get that diagnosis that late in life it can turn your life upside down mm -hmm. um and I am very social um I you know, I like to communicate with people and, you know, I'm very empathic with, with, with people. So that, that's a very big stereotype. Sure. Well, look, with, with that in mind, I know that kind of um, you're both kind of very outgoing, um, 
quite extrovert, the, the, the pair of you. I mean, Adam has been hosting podcasts with me for God knows how long now. And when I first reached out to him, he was just like, yes, I'm happy to come on the show. Likewise, I think when he reached out to you, it was kind of an immediate yes. And when I spoke to you, um, very, as you say, quite, quite extrovert, really. Um, so look, how did I guess this perhaps come about? And what was what did your life look like kind of pre that diagnosis? Because 39, you said, or was it 37 or 39? 38. 38. That's extremely late in life for something like this to, to get picked up. Um, so how did your your younger life look, you know, through school, college, mm-hmm. university, any of, you know, all of these places and, and, and the workplace when you uh, first started? How how did it look back then? Well, uh, growing up as a child, I mean, I, I did not have a happy childhood, let's, to be very honest. Uh, when I was seven, um, from the age of seven, I, I knew that there was something different about me. That that's how I felt. If that, I looked that at, early, seven. Yeah, I mean, I looked at you know, and and this is looking through hindsight, having that diagnosis, I could now look back and see, okay, these were the the differences that I had. So, for instance, mm. my vocabulary was far more advanced than my peers were. So, you know, as kids. I would be using the very formal English um, or, you know, the formal Dutch, you know, growing up, Mm. being born and growing up in the Netherlands. Um, And just socially, I was extremely awkward. So I was always alone, always been alone, very few friends. Um, At school, I did really well if I had the structure. So primary school, you know, it was just the, the... standard type of school where you know you had the one teacher and then you know I did really well and I skipped a grade and then I got you know to the Montessori school which is very unstructured and I didn't do well at all um and then because I skipped a grade when I went to secondary school I was a year younger than most of my peers wow (laughs) you can imagine as a teen you know I was kind of like a perfect target for bullies. So I was bullied you, severely. You out, and I think, Adam, you you had kind of, I guess it's similar in ways, isn't it, that you were kind of top performer, you know, sports, academically. And when you stand out sometimes to that extent, you know, kids will be kids. And, you know, if you're different, there's sometimes challenges that you're going to face. Kids can be very cruel, as we know. And, um, yeah, I mean, for full disclosure, you know, Ed and I, have worked together for the last year and I've got to know Ed extremely well during that period of time and Mm. all the characteristics that you describe Ed are really pertinent but at the same time as I've said to you on several occasions to me appear as your superpower you know the things that you describe in a work setting become your superpowers and have become your superpowers in my eyes but also you know that that early experience of whether or not a label would be helpful or not is quite interesting, isn't it? Because we've talked about it, I know, a lot outside of this podcast. And in some respects, as a parent, I think having a label helps. But in some respects, as the participant of that label, sometimes it doesn't. And and I just wanted to bring you in on that, Ed, as to what your thoughts are around the labelling generally, more generally, and, and whether or not a diagnosis, in inverted commas, actually assists or or facilitates better outcomes for you. Right, no, and, and we've talked about this before, as you said, and for me, it was very important because um, as I mentioned before, I knew there was something up. I, I just felt so different. I felt like an alien on this planet. Mm. And you know, I've been seeing psychologists since I was a child. My parents sent me to psychologists and nothing helped. And you know, did all these tests and I can remember that at one point they, they said, oh, we won't test you for autism because you are so empathic. So they automatically disqualified that test. And it took a, a meeting with someone else who, who had autism. And, you know, I, I'd been off work for a few years um, due to burnout and depression. And I was in this support group. And I started talking with her and she turned around to me. She said, do you have Asperger's? And I'm like, seriously? She's yeah, yeah, you, 
display the characteristics of someone with Asperger's. So I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I went to my psychologist and I said, look, I want to be tested for autism. Um, this is what they think. And I would like to have, you know, I would like to know. And so we did a battery of tests. I think it took us at least eight hours in total, you know, long, lots of tests to do, do like IQ tests or history, medical history. One of my friends came in to give her opinion and the diagnosis Asperger's came out. And for me, it wasn't the label. For me, it was like the weight lifted off of my shoulders because I, I always thought that everything that I did was my fault. Right. And, you know, I, I wasn't the perfect son or, you know, because I used to act out as a kid and, and you know, I always saw myself as the black sheep and I, in what way did you you act out out of interest, Ed? I'm just thinking. Um, I I had I I had anger attacks. Um, it just the frustration of not being able to communicate mm. uh, with my family, um, meltdowns as a kid, just being over. You know, I I can look at this now and and say that you know if I was overstimulated, the sensory overstimulation that can cause a meltdown. Um, dealing with change uh, can cause um, overstimulation, things like that. And now I had an answer as to why I was, why I behaved that way. And it was a huge relief. Um, and this also, the, you, sorry, okay. Ed, you also made reference to the fact that you didn't work for a while and, and you were figuring things out. So is that in your experience, has that been common in others that you've come across? Because as you said that, you were quite flippant and, and matter of fact about it. But often people take some time to kind of find themselves and also live in this new normal, do they not? It, it, it wasn't so much trying to live in a new normal. It was also um, you know, dealing with you know, aided diagnosis, <coughs> excuse me, um, the depression around it that I had as well um but also trying to find a job was was quite difficult when i had my diagnosis you know i was in in the netherlands and you know the the job agency um gave me job recommendations for um i think one of them was packing boxes for hello fresh because they thought that that would be the maximum that i would be doing and i had been working as a data manager for eight years before that um but they basically told me that I shouldn't be in any stress-related situations, you know, or, or things like that. I, I don't know what exactly specified. And then I was like, no, I need to go get back into data management because that is what I really, really love doing. And so I made the decision to move to Germany. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Vivo, I ended up at, uh, at AstraZeneca, where... I do want to mention that there is a large neurodiverse community there. I am proud to co-host a bi-monthly, sorry, bi-weekly coffee chat for neurodiverse employees, as well as once a month we um, have a coffee chat for parents of neurodiverse children or neurodiverse parents with children. And... You know, that is something that I co-host with someone and we, you know, have quite a few people attend and just give them a safe space to talk about, you know, these these things and, and meet other people because, but, you know, when I was, I was working, I didn't know. And you know, this is the first time that I've actually worked with people who are either on the spectrum or have some other neurodiversity. I think that's, I mean, yeah, big credit to AZ for doing such a, a thing because I think otherwise it can, yeah, get picked up as someone as being difficult in an organisation. Whereas if you're openly speaking um, about it and you're now hosting this this session as someone who has yeah been diagnosed and kind of felt that own weight off your own shoulders, it must be creating, as you say, that safe space, an area for for people to to really just open up and get things off their chest, off, off their shoulders. So, I mean, how, how's that um, done, Ed? Is it all via Zoom, remote teams or, or something like that? Or 
Right. So we have a we have a Teams meeting that we 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 set up and we send out the invite. So we have an invite on our internal uh, website mm. uh, that people can join and you know people either turn in you know tune in with their cameras on or off talking non-talking it's fine uh for us it's important that they can listen they can also talk about things and the feedback has been really positive and that is the the, the main thing for me because i i know what it's like to not be able to talk to anyone and if you get that opportunity then it makes such a huge difference because you feel understood. And have you been, I guess, surprised by anything while, while hosting those um, conversations? Is there anything that's taken you back or, you know, you just thought, well, I, you know, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, um, what's the general feel of, of the meetings? I'm guessing if all, all is going well, it's, it's very rewarding, but be yeah, useful to kind of, understand how this has gone because there may be other other organizations out there thinking you know what that is such a good idea um and i think yeah it sounds great so yeah be be good to know kind of yeah the the ups the downs kind of just a very frank overview as to yeah your experience with all of that i mean so far it's been pretty positive to be perfectly honest i've only been running these since january um again so far it's been very positive i get lots of good feedback from you know, my colleagues, um, what takes me aback is the openness, the vulnerability to get shown that they feel so secure. I mean, we're all strangers, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's not just people within data management or, or clinical research, you know, it's from the entire company. Mm-hmm. So I meet people who I normally would never meet with. And so to have that ability to that confidence to talk about you know your issues or what you come up against with with let's be fair complete strangers i think is is also a testament to those who attend these meetings that they you know are open um about it and again i'll 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 be monitoring the chat and i'll you know see things go oh this is great the best meeting of the week um, things like that and to me that's very fulfilling that, that it, I can provide I that say, it, it must it must be I mean I've attended a number of those meetings Ed, and I think the, the word that I would describe you in that forum is as an advocate and people see you as not just the leader or one of the leaders of those discussions but actually someone who is talking not just from their own personal experience but actually as an empath, as you as you've described, someone who understands the challenges, and then as a parent, listening and talking to other parents who have children who have similar challenges, it's absolutely mind blowing how open that conversation is, James. And as Ed said, you know, there is no judgment in those in those discussions. And I've even spoken about it to a number of friends of mine who are in different industries who are you know leaders in other industries yeah in construction and engineering and various other fields and similar to you they've done the mental health first aid of courses and i've described this forum to them as this safe space where people attend and there is no judgment and and honestly i think i think this will be facilitated in many other companies and as we're talking about it and ed is describing it it genuinely is an entirely open discussion. It doesn't matter what your role, responsibility, salary, position within AZ is. It's an open invitation to anyone within the organization. And sometimes it can be, I don't know, 15 people. Sometimes it can be many less than that. But nevertheless, there is, there is no less value of a conversation, is there, Ed, I think? Right. I mean, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I've had a few times where it's just been me and someone else. And we just talk for an hour about whatever um we've had you know up to 20 people wow which is which is quite a bit mm. i mean okay not compared to the size of az but you know for this kind of group i think is 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 really good and getting the feedback and uh, is amazing and last year um i took part in a neurodiversity panel for the neurodiversity celebration which 
coincidentally is this week um, as well. And I was actually partnering up with Tim Goldstein from Google, who is an, a, an autism advocate. And I basically gave my, my life story from a work perspective, mm. because that's what they kind of want to go for is to help managers understand people with neurodiversity. And so I basically you know, gave my thoughts on how, how my work was, how I used my strengths, um, how I mitigated you know, my weaknesses. And then Tim Goldstein came in and basically said, oh, you know, gave a bit more context behind that. And I, I do have to admit, I mean, my, you know, my manager at AZ requested to see that link. And that to me was, was impressive. Didn't have to, but he said, please send me the link. What's, so no, I'm, I'm, there's a couple of questions I, I want to ask you. I guess firstly on the neurodiversity group that you've been running at AZ, um, almost a, a two-part question, I guess, is that pre that and pre your diagnosis, how would you have preferred to have been approached? And secondly, how much of a difference would that have made to you if that was available at your workplace back then? It's a very good question. Um, if I'm really hyper-focused, then I tend to not want to be disturbed. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I get distracted from something, then that can be annoying for me far more than you know, maybe someone who's, who's neurotypical because I'm just so much into the zone, um, whether it be reviewing documents or cleaning the data or whatnot. Um, now, having this diagnosis, I, I can be open about that and, and tell people, like, look, I'm. I'm not being rude or whatever. It, this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. One of the points that, that I made during this, this panel discussion was I, I have a tendency to look away. I, I can't maintain eye contact for a long period of time because that's, that's quite tiring for me. Um, but it can be construed as being rude. Uh-huh. You know, you, why, why are you not looking at me? What do you think? <laughs> you know, are you ignoring me? That kind of thing. But now that I, I have that, I can say, look, it's just who I am. And I, I, I do find, you know, that my managers have that understanding. Like I said, I, I also work at TFS. My TFS manager has also been really understanding about this and being very receptive. And I think from a company perspective, if they give the opportunity to neurodiverse employees to meet each other, to, you know, talk about issues in the long run it makes sense for them because they're going to get happy employees and happy employees means better work so the cynic in me you know can understand that but you know for me for me it's as well um i i i look to the companies that i work for and because i get that appreciation that makes me want to work even harder for them to, mm. to make them succeed. Look, I'm unpacking that a little bit more because um, I'm sure that there's a lot of leaders, managers, business owners that, that tune in as part of our audience. What would you say are, are kind of like the the biggest things to, to look for in, in terms of how to manage someone with um, you know a, a condition like yourselves or, or you know neurodiversity in general? What were the what were the main takeaways that you had during that conversation with? Um, at that point for me the most important thing is to be open to be receptive um, for instance when I spoke with my, my manager at TFS I basically printed out some cheat sheets on on autism and I said you know please read this have a look if you have any questions come back to me mm-hmm. um, having that open conversation asking the questions you know, don't don't assume that you know everything will will be fine. But just ask: Is there anything that we can accommodate you with? Um, for instance, you know, I I have problems working in an open office. That doesn't mean to say that oh, I need to have my own office. No, it just means that I will be coming in very early in the morning. I would start at six thirty. 
and so that I would have at least two hours to myself, the way I would just have the office for myself, things like that. So that kind of flexibility. Um, communication. Communication is the most important thing when it comes to this. Just be open, be honest, be understanding. Um, because what you'll get back as a manager or a business owner is a very dedicated person working for the company. And that's worth its weight in gold, to be perfectly mm. honest. I think that self-awareness that you have, Ed, but also as you describe it, is, is so key from a, from a manager's perspective as much as from your own perspective. You, you've clearly developed that self-awareness over, over a period of time, haven't you? In order to, to kind of give you those tools to, to bring out the best in yourself, but also to work better with others. I would, that's what I'm hearing anyway. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, again, lots of psychologists. I have a really good understanding of myself. Um, I know my strengths and my weaknesses, but I also know how to bring that to the fore when I'm talking with my managers. I could say, look, <coughs> excuse me, this is not my strong suit. Um, like, you know, when, when I was at the start of my career, I had, I had problems with, with organizing and time management. And I, I told my manager that, and she helped me with that. Um, and that's something that I just learned to do more uh, over the course of my career. Um, but it, again, it's this, it's this back and forth on how can you make your employee, I wouldn't say you feel comfortable, but more give them the tools that they may or may not need. Um, I, again, it's a spectrum. Uh, what I might oh. deal with, someone else might not. So I was gonna it's say, very on individual. that point, I mean, what I'm just thinking what works, what, what doesn't for, for you? Because um, I was very open when, when you and I, um first met um you know almost the way you described your situation i was like it sounds very similar to my brother um who is like you very it can be very focused when he is zoned in he is incredible at what he does but sometimes he might lack in you know communicating some, some uh, sometimes I, I remember saying to you you know you'll send a, a message to him or an email to him and it could be it could fire back within two seconds he might fire back within two weeks as if nothing's um sort of any any different so look what works for you and what doesn't work for you in a work setting um because as you say there, it is a spectrum so um, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all is it but you know what what are the, the the i'd say maybe tips and tricks for anyone else who kind of um has neurodiversity has asperger's um or is a manager of someone um with, with any of the above i i do have to say that's quite difficult because i have been able to i want to say overcome but kind of adjust my mind to things um for instance i mentioned the having problems with change mm -hmm. i don't have that at work in fact, I actually like it when things change a lot. For some reason, I like the chaotic nature of my work. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes I do need time for myself. If I get you know, overloaded, with, for instance, if I'm in a meeting, a video call, and the team's notifications pop up, then my attention immediately gets drawn to the bottom right hand of my screen um, so I've learned to, if I'm in an important meeting, I'll, I'll put it on do not, my, my status on do not disturb. It'll mute all the, all the, um, Ed, you're all the certainly not alone on that one. I think that we're all guilty of that these days in the modern world. There's so many notifications. I mean, before we even kicked off here, we were all scrambling around, turning off emails, teams, phones, you know, it's, um, it's hard to, to keep that focus. I think for, for anyone, I think. Right, and and just you know, for, for me especially, if if because I'm so focused, if I get it, you know, it's like a a floodlight. It get my focus just goes on to a completely different topic, and then I'm I lose the track. If I'm in a, a meeting with someone, then I just lose track of the conversation because I'm just so focused mm. on what's happening. 
And if it's you know a question or something urgent, then I really need to reel myself back in to not immediately respond and to, you know, I need to tell myself, oh, I just need to stay on this topic. The other topic will come later. And that is something that, that I have noticed that I, I really need to count to five before I respond or, you know, not, not immediately engage in that conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to follow up on that, on that one as well. I mean, if, if you don't mind talking about it, Ed, um, I know that you've, you've shared with me that at times, sometimes, sometimes uh, you use, well, you're on medication for, for, this, for, this, um, for these symptoms and for this diagnosis. Does that help turn some of that down for you? Do you find following on from having had that diagnosis that the medication can help you? Could it help others? Well, I do have to be clear that the medication that I take is for my ADD, mm-hmm. um, not not for autism. I'm 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 unaware of any medication for autism. It's it's just it just is. Mm-hmm. Um, but for ADD, it, it does help. Without my, I I take um, methylphenidate, um, which otherwise known as I believe is Ritalin. And I, if I'm not on it, then I compare my mind to you know, go into um don't know what the stores are in the uk anymore but like a best buy in the us or the media market yeah you, know, you go in the, the tvs are blaring that's my mind that all my thoughts are just mm-hmm. going non-stop and i find that the, the medication helps me to calm down helps me focus um helps with getting over that initial hump of you know doing things uh, because sometimes you just don't have the inclination to do something and this just give that extra push over the hump to to get things done so for me it does work um, but again for for other people it, it may be there may be different uh, I think ways that's the, thing. To help. that's the thing isn't it everyone is different and, and yep. when we've when we've been on these on these neurodiversity, Teams calls. It's been very interesting how different people have described either characteristics that they've got or their children have got. And I'm thinking particularly around um, repetitive behaviours and OCD and eating patterns and timings and all of those things. We've talked about quite a lot over the last few months. I I recall in in various conversations things that I had never had a an understanding or an awareness of either. Eating patterns, I can definitely. Um agree with I, I, at one point I, I was eating chicken shawarma for six months um, oh. in a row so yeah I do know I do. and what about um, again I, I feel like I'm, I'm almost drawing on personal experiences again with, with my brother as, as I kind of openly said when I, when I spoke to yourself um, but has there been any other kind of go-to outlets I mean for my brother um, it seems that it's it's been um, sort of alcohol and smoking and, and things like this have you ever been drawn to that line or is it kind of just more general habits for yourself ed and is there also just to add on to that is there anything else that perhaps people should be aware of in terms of impacts to family personal relationships we've talked so much about work what about outside of um work at you know home life etc home life is completely the opposite for my work life um i'm very lucky to have a girlfriend who's extremely supportive supportive of me um because i let my personal life slide a lot um i'm just completely different you know i would have panic attacks when the doorbell goes because I'm not expecting the doorbell to go. Um, same if the phone goes, then I would, you know, not be expecting and I'd be like my mind racing, like, oh, what's going on? Um, and I would also have trouble, you know, taking care of myself. I would let the washing build up or the washing up build up and, you know, I'd be say, oh, that, that, that will come tomorrow. Um, so when I was living in the Netherlands, I, I did have someone come around once a week, um, 
part of a, uh, uh, I think social worker would be the best description. They, they would come around, make sure that, you know, I opened my letters, that I took out the trash, that I, you know, did the basic things to, to live. And, you know, I, I, I do have to admit, there's, there's also the negative side that I find, because I'm looking, you know, I'm 45 years old and I have trouble doing this. And that can have an impact on my mental health or my mental well-being, because it's like, come on, you should be able to do this. And the fact of the matter is, is that I, I, I sometimes can't. And, you know, again, having this support from my girlfriend who understands this, understands the need that sometimes I just need to lie down for a day in the dark because I'm just overloaded. And she has that capacity for understanding to, to know that I'm not just ignoring her, but this is just something that I need to do. And she'll ask me, um, you know, how I'm doing. Um, it's, it's, it's nice. It's nice to have that. But, you know, I think it's, it's good Ed, that you can pretty much, you know, just say, look, I hold my hands up. Look, there's a few flaws here. Um, and you're kind of open enough to just say that and almost, yeah, take on board that sometimes it, it winds you up yourself um, that you, you do these things, but just say, look, that, I've, you know, that is me. Do, do you think that having the diagnosis has, has helped with that? You know, rather than feeling different, has the diagnosis helped with that? Absol- absolutely. Um, I mean, I suffered from severe depression. No, not knowing what was going on with me. Um, I, I had no clue. I was like, you know, why, why am I like this? What am I doing wrong? Um, and again, this was separate from my work because I, I enjoyed data management. I, I really enjoyed doing the work that I do. But I'm not in, you know, if you, work's fine, but it also has to be balanced with your personal life. And if you're unhappy in your personal life, mm. sooner or later, that's going to, you know, go into your work life. Every, everything. I mean, everything is connected, isn't it? In some exactly. way. Exactly. So again, now that I can say, okay, I, I feel, you know, having this diagnosis, I, I, I can nuance it a bit more and be able to not be as hard on myself as I would be. Mm. And, you know, now things are a lot better for me having, you know, being able to talk to other people with with neurodiversity and, and, you know, everybody's the same comorbidities are there. I mean, since having my my diagnosis, my, my panic attacks have gone down tremendously. Hmm. because I, for some reason I can now rationalize it and, and say, okay, the reason why, you know, I don't like it when the doorbell goes is purely because it's an unexpected occurrence and it's not because it's something bad, you know, it's just someone delivering the mail or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it, I can say, you know, that that's the reason why and I can live better with myself, if that makes sense. I'm also I'm also reminded Ed, of a time when on a couple of occasions you've reached out to me in a work setting and you you've you've bounced an idea or a uh, an emotion off against me in other words this has happened this is the email <laughs> I really really want to go and smash someone over the head <laughs> yeah is that normal and I think I've said to you on a couple of occasions Ed listen if I'd have got that email I'd have gone and smashed someone over her head as well but actually, it's, it's understanding your boundaries or other people's boundaries and where you sit within those boundaries, isn't it? Because we have got to know each other very well over the last year or, year or a little bit more. And even though we've never physically met, I think you'll say the same as I will. I, I feel I know you so well, Ed. Yeah. And as you're describing and, and explaining your emotions and your feelings, it resonates so loudly in, in, in that day-to-day that you and I interact on a, on a personal and a professional level because I, I feel and see these things regularly and and I hope you feel I am that safe sounding board mm-hmm. on occasions when you want to check and validate something but at the same time 
as I've said to you before, it's perfectly normal to be irritated as hell by something that blindsides you and comes completely out of the blue because we would all be challenged with those things. And, and unfortunately, as every day is unique and dynamic, things do blindside us, don't they? And, and, and that's really how you're describing your, you know, your day-to-day, but also those tools that you've developed and this kind of rationale behind which you approach every single day. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I do see you as a sounding board and, you know, consider you a close friend. Um, for me, definitely the, the social interactions. I think with, with emails, it's, it can be very difficult because I'm missing context. If, uh, you know, I prefer the video calls because I can see the, the expressions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit less when you just talk with someone on the phone. But emails, uh, I find very difficult because I, I can't tell. Um, and I remember at one point years ago when uh, there was a delay in the database go live and I got an email saying, oh, I know it's your fault. And I, you know, I, I flew off the handle. I'm like, look, I'm doing my best here. Um, and I, I, you know, I saw my manager at the time and she said, well, you know, just write back and, you know, ask what you mean, you know. And it, it turns out that they forgot the word not. Um, it was not my fault, is what they meant to say. <laughs> um, so is that, that that just goes to show you that you know sometimes you do need to take that step back and you know take a deep breath before responding. And I I have to admit that that when I'm writing emails, you know if it's if it's an official one or you know one which is not really that pleasant, then I do look at it for 20, 30 minutes, making sure that the wording's correct, that it un- can be understood, um, things like that. And, 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 you know, when it comes to other communication, I, I know it sounds quite weird, but I find emojis to be extremely helpful to me because I can then read something and then if someone uses an emoji, uh, not, you know, not going into the whole using emojis at work. That's a different conversation. But just <laughs> the fact that, you know, if they make make a comment, put a big smiley face, and I know, okay, they're joking. If they mm. can, you know, if they're being sarcastic or something like that, I don't know. Um, for me, it's, it's extremely useful um, because then I can get that context and. Yeah, that 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 helps me. I get it because otherwise, email has very little tone, effectively, does it? Yes. And look, this is not a sponsored ad, but one of the tools that I've um, been using for the last couple of years is Grammarly. Um, oh yeah. Not only checks your your spelling, your grammar, but it now detects the tone and it will give you an, an emoji to say your email sounds friendly or it sounds business formal. Um, so that. Um, for anyone, I guess, like yourself and, and even like, like me, because um, I know that sometimes when it comes to, to business, I'm, I'm very much on the go, I'm direct, and I'm just like, no, actually, I, I want it to sound a bit more positive. So I use it and I will sometimes, I'll look at it if it says, oh, it's business formal. I'm like, I don't want to be business formal because, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I'm not necessarily business formal. Um, so I don't want to be coming across like that. So I, I use that tool all, all of the time. So again, that any of the audience who have not been um, tapping into that, certainly um, well worth worth doing so. And Ed, if you're already on it, then great. But um, yeah, I would highly recommend it to anyone else. And look, in terms of, you know, it seems that you've picked up on some of the areas that you can improve. You've, you know, got a few uh, processes in place to, you know, maintain a uh, level of, of positive mental health um what are your plans next you know in terms of continuing to do that um and, and building on what you've you've done since getting your your diagnosis and kind of accepting ed who you are and why you are the way that you are well i mean obviously you know i'm going to stay with the management it's it's something that speaks to my strengths it's it's something that i'm very passionate about um with regards to neurodiversity um, i've been invited to speak at a forum 
start of April for one of the uh, the AZ sites in Sweden. So I'm definitely going to be more involved with that because for me, you know, there's also the reflective side of thing. What I put into others, I get back myself. When you know, when I host these coffee chats for an hour, you know, I'm I'm just talking with colleagues, talking with friends. No concern about work. Um, it's just me and a group of people talking and getting to know them, getting to know their challenges, being able to find some sort of common ground. I think it's the most important thing is uh, one of the things that most amazed me is that I'm talking to people and they're like, oh yeah, I do that. I'm like, really? Just helping others is also helping you. And it's kind of that. Absolutely. That kind of doing it, doing it together and kind of that, that community that you're, you're building effectively. Exactly. Because for me, the goal is not to just have this, you know, this once every two weeks thing. For me, the goal is for people to connect outside of that, to see, oh, they're located near me, mm. you know, maybe go for, for a coffee, go for a beer, whatnot, and get that connection and make sure that, you know, you, you find people that you can talk with because that is the most important thing is to is to talk don't don't keep everything bottled up that's that's just going to wreck you if you talk find someone to talk with you know they may not be able to help but just the act of listening helps so much when it comes to mental health at least in my case where i can talk to my girlfriend about all these things you know everything i i, I do at work She's not in data management field. She's in a completely different field. But the fact that she listens mm. and she remembers, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's this and this. You know, that helps so much at the end of the day. Um, it recharges me. We've had this conversation many times with other people on the podcast who've described that experience of talking, helping, and facilitating the neurological pathways, but understanding the outward signs and the inward personal understanding that you gain from talking, but also having someone who is a willing listener and, and there is no judgment. That was the thing I was thinking as you were mm -hmm. saying that is, is in these forums, there is no judgment, is there? In this no. conversation today, there is no judgment. In fact, I actually think, you know, as, as you do more and more of these um, experiences of, of sharing, you will gain more and more capabilities and, and skills with which you can broaden that understanding outside of a very small environment and, and just make it so much bigger. Because you know, every time I hear you talk about this, I just, I have a whole different perception and it just keeps going up and up. And as I've said to you before, Ed, you know, I think, I think you're an amazing guy. I thought you were an amazing guy before I knew all these things, you know, genuinely, I can't quite believe we've never physically met, but I can't wait for that opportunity to meet you in person because Agreed. I actually genuinely feel like I want to give you a hug right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a hugger. I love a hug. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I guess that I would mirror that. It would be great to, to meet up when you are perhaps next in the, in the UK, uh, grab a coffee, grab a beer, hear, hear more about that. But look, before we, we do let you get off and, and close the show, we always... Um, finish the podcast with a quick fire question round mm -hmm. um and i guess look, I'll, I'll kick us off and then that is again taking you back you know given what you know now what would you have said to your yourself at the time so whether it was your seven-year-old self or your teenage self when you were thinking i'm different what would you have said to, to that individual quite simply it will get better it it sounds like a cliche but you know, if those people who are listening who, who are suffering with mental health, it will it will get better. Cool. Like to hear it. Good to hear. Is there one particular is there one particular book or resource that you would recommend for our audience, Ed? Because people listening to this and they're always looking for tips and tricks, and I think you've given us a lot today. But is there one particular one that you would uh, recommend more than others? Um, I don't really read books on the topic I, I kind of do things 
rather than than read about it. So you just act and do. Yep. Perfect. Thank you. Cool. Well, I guess speaking of doing in that case, what would you say is your go-to stress reliever? You know, I've often spoke for me, it's boxing, it's sport. Um, what's, what's your go-to stress relief? Quite easy, computer games. <laughs> I, I, I'm a gamer, um, but I also just like to, you know, sit on the couch, watch a Marvel movie with my girlfriend and talk about it. I basically just used it to the Star Wars movies, so. <laughs> any particular game Ed I mean I've, I've been out of the Ooh. game world for a while but I used I mean as certainly as a teenager I was big on, on gaming uh, and I know our man Joseph Heron is also big on gaming as well what's what's the go-to game I, I, I think that's that's a topic for another podcast but I would definitely <laughs> um, you know role-playing games you know the, the CRPGs JRPGs um, real-time strategy games just anything to get my mind off things and just get me focused on, on, on something else other than work. Perfect. Awesome. I mean, you've, you've talked about so many different things today, Ed, but just to round it up, we, we, we would love to ask you what, what piece of advice would you give to anyone um, with the early signs of difficulties in, in mental health, wherever they may find themselves? What, what would be your best piece of advice for those individuals? It, it's, it's difficult having you know, gone through it myself, but the most, the most important thing that I can think of is talk. Don't keep it inside. Don't keep it bottled inside. And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be difficult because you feel misunderstood or you don't think that you'll get the help that you need. Um, I've had that, you know, for over, over 20 years, but just talk reach out to someone um it may work it may not work but it's worth a shot i like Great it advice. and i think Thank so you. many other people have said that haven't they adam so um that sound sound advice absolutely um there ed and look before we yeah uh, i just want to say thanks again for coming on the show and being so open honest um transparent with with everything that you you've you've been through and with the advice that you've given um so look for anyone wanting to reach out to you to hear more about these diversity talks or you know um neurodiversity talks or anything else that you are doing on this subject what is the best way to to get hold of you and uh, the best way would probably be on my my linkedin mm-hmm. perfect I'm just connect send you a message um yep. reach out um, and it sounds as though, look, you're, you're clearly happy to talk. That's, you know, you're an advocate oh, yeah. of that. So um, perfect. We'll, we'll get everything hooked up and online. Uh, but look, thank you once again for being a part of the, the Huxley Morton podcast. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, James. Thanks. Thank you, Adam.